Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chief fans, look away now because it's on the whistle time. And once again, we're talking about the excellence that is Mama Lodi Sundance. Last week, we discussed the brilliant performance of the men's team in taking home the inaugural African Football League title. And this week, we're discussing an even more dominant continental performance from the women's team this time, who last night won the Women's Champions League after beating Moroccan side sporting club Casablanca 2-0 in the final of Africa's premier club competition. And here to join me as we discuss the historic success and making her debut on the podcast is the brilliant Usher Komogisha. Usher, how are you doing today? It's a, an exciting start to the week. Uh, a lot of football happening, especially in the African continent. So really excited to be speaking to you. I've listened into the podcast for quite a while. Um, so yeah, I'm just excited to be here and really to be um, able to discuss, you know, all the football that we'll talk about today. Absolutely. And you're someone who's so brilliant to talk to on this. Obviously, you've been covering, you know, the women's game for so long on the continent. We met last summer at, at the women's AFCON. That was where we met for the first time. And it, yeah, it's brilliant to have you. I mean, first off, for those who didn't watch it last night, Mamelodi Sundowns 3-0 against Sporting Club Casablanca. Casablanca making their debut in the competition. Uh, coming in because Asfar Rabat won it last year. And so an extra qualifying spot went to North Africa. Um, I, I, Usher, you know, 3 0, 13 shots to seven, six shots on target to 70% possession. Was it as clear cut as just, you know, Mamelodi Sundowns were just far, far too good for Cas Casablanca? Well, to be honest with you, going into the final, I was like, mm, I'm giving, you know, Sporting uh, Club Casablanca a bit of a chance. But when the game began, um, I was really convinced that Mamelodi. Um, would win it. And I say that because I'm really that kind of person who wants to um, look at the face of the players when they come onto the field of play. I want to see what is their attitude, what is their body language in warm-up. And uh, you could see how confident they were. They went into this fixture as, you know, a team that hasn't yet considered um, in the tournament. And the last time that that happened was in the inaugural season of this very competition, which Mamelodi themselves went on to win without conceding a goal. Andile Dlamini, absolutely incredible between the goalposts. She's been such a leader and not just by, you know, shouting at the defenders and saying, you know, guys, let's stick together. But really, even from the dressing room, she's the kind of player who is always the one bringing together her teammates. Um, you know, even when they don't have games, she's leading the prayers uh, before they go to bed, um, when they wake up in the morning. So they listen to her and there's that cohesion, you know, within the team. Um, that really sets them apart. But also they know that, you know, they want to be at the helm of, uh, you know, uh, African football. And who knows, maybe one time compete in a, a global competition that has um, the best teams from uh, all the continents across the world. So they've been in that position for a minute. They know what is at stake. And they know that football is a very powerful tool that can change their lives as we are going to see that um, uh, just two days from uh, today, really on Wednesday, that uh, there's going to be a Netflix documentary that is going to showcase the power of women's football and really the power of the beautiful game in these women's lives. So for them, it's more than football. It's more than the 90 minutes. And they were going to always throw everything that they had on that field to make sure that they win. And yes, you talk about the stats, but 
as you can see, I'm really avoiding the stats, um, you know, in the overall sense to just bring in um, the emotional side and really um, the side that is also psychological. Uh, we know for a while now that Moroccan and South African teams, uh, both in men and women, have also created this incredible rivalry. Of course, it's healthy um, on the continent, especially in the last five years. So that also comes into play, but also because Asfar won um, the league last year. So this time, you know, Mamelodi said, look, it's our third time going to the final. We better make it two out of three. Uh, than to make it one out of three. So you can see that they're very absolute, incredible um, team. And and just looking at that podium also with uh, the individual awards later, Boitumelo Rabale, who is uh, obviously an um, incredible player, captain of Lesotho, just shining, you know, in this uh, tournament. Then you have Refilwe uh, from Botswana. So just that combination of these Kosafa players uh, coming together at club level to remind everyone um, that this is a region that has been investing massively in uh, women's football. For me, the result at the end of the day was a culmination of uh, weeks of just a lot of individual brilliance, but also of great individual team uh, teamwork, you know. And you see that also uh, on the relationship that uh, the players have with the coaching staff. You earlier talked about uh, having Jerry Shabalala on the podcast um, ahead of the semifinals. You could see how he was speaking with so much emotion and what this meant, um, you know, for him and his players, but also just really for the Masanda Wana family uh, back home. Can you imagine in a space of seven days, they've been crowned African queens and kings. That just goes to show you that there's something incredible happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that, I, you know, I, I went into the kind of into the stats and the archives and, and Mamelodi Sundance are the only club in the history of football to be at the same time both the champions on the men's and women's sides continentally. Um, obviously, there's a few caveats there, whether you think the African Football League is is the premier competition in the men's side, as well as I, I also have to caveat that in uh, between in, in 2022, Palmeiras held it for one day because I think the, the men's side had won it in 2021 and the women's side won it in 2022, but a day before the, the, the final of the men's. But I think it's testament to, to the brilliant work that Sundowns have, have, have done. And, and yeah, you, you know, you mentioned some of the players, you know, what strikes me about Sundowns is right. They've played 15 games over these three years now in this competition. They've only conceded in two. And you would say coming kind of those first two years, you'd say, you know, this is definitely the team that plays the best football, incredibly well organized, you know, plays some really, really lovely football that we've seen translated into the Banyana Banyana team. You know, some of those players who are playing there, you know, like Biana as well, like, and players like that. But the one thing that they were lacking maybe was kind of a lethal goal scorer up front. They've got a couple of players like Hadeete who, who can kind of do a job up front, you know, are involved in play. But then they go and they have the power to then go and sign arguably one of the most exciting, you know, center forwards for, at the at the women's AFCON last year in Rafiwe Tolakele. And she had a brilliant tournament. I mean, for me coming into this tournament or coming into the, the Women's Champions League, for me, the biggest worry was how is it going to measure up in terms of the competition? Because, you know, you've got all these regions coming together for the first time. And the thing that struck me was how competitive every region kept uh, kept it. You know, in that first edition, Vihiga Queens coming from Kenya, where, where you know, where I'm from, came and beat Asfar Rabat, who then went on to get, you know, win it the next year. And we've seen a really competitive thing, but we had a competitive tournament. But 
and it's a big but is that sundowns are now starting to show that they are the top tier and like you said before we've we've had this investment from morocco and, and and south africa and i guess my fear is that you know last year asfar rabat wins it and sporting casablanca comes in as the second kind of team from that north africa region blows away the other competition in qualifying and now are we going to see the same thing next year because we're seeing other clubs in south africa growing that's one thing that jerry shabalala spoke about how happy he was although i'm sure he's not because sundowns aren't actually top of the league anymore with the likes of TS Galaxy, Royal AM, you know, JWB, um, and, and, you know, UWC coming through. Is there a danger now that because of these two countries and the investment in their clubs and, you know, maybe in very different ways, obviously, you know, South Africa and Moroccan football is developed differently. Are we in a place where this kind of duopoly is forming and suddenly we're not going to be seeing other regions competing in the same way that we should? I mean, we've had four teams quali- uh, get to the final of the women's champions league three of them have come from morocco and south africa you know wh- what are your thoughts in terms of how the tournament develops well to be honest um i think that there's more to the tournament than just you know morocco and south africa and i i know it's difficult to say because those are the two countries where the three winners of uh, the tournament have come from however look at it this way you have jkt ladies who uh, queens who uh, came from uh, Tanzania, but also from the East African region, you know, and they beat uh, Simba, you know, to the title in Tanzania um, in the in the National League, and then went to the region for the very first time and played the way that they played, right? Of course, they were a bit unlucky, you know, to lose a couple of their players to the under-20 team, you know, that was happening um, at the same time with um, the Women's Champions League. However, you can see that there's a huge, um, you know, uh, difference there for them to come in as a new team and then make it. Then on the other side, you have, for example, Ampem uh, Dakoa from... uh, uh, from uh, from Ghana, right? Because the other time last year you had Hasaka's ladies, you know, Evelyn Badu just killing everyone on that field of play. And then this year now you have Ampem Dakoa with Comfort Yebo. I can't keep saying her name. Huge fan, huge fan. I think I need to, you know, call them and get a, a T-shirt because such an incredible uh, young teenage player. But it's just to show you that there's other teams that are coming up. Even Sporting Club uh, Casablanca, they're not even five years old um, as a club. Um, but they're coming in to compete, you know, and, and yes, you talk about the investment, yes, but there is also, you know, a fresh wave, you know, of people waking up and saying, hmm, you know, I think we really need to invest in this women's football. But of course, and now to your point, there's always going to be a gap, you know, first with the infrastructure that uh, the two countries have. You talked about uh, going to the Women's Africa Cup of Nations last year um, in Morocco, and, and you could see the stadiums where um, the games were being played just in Rabat, um, seeing the, the, you know, the, the final, you know, the final between um, South Africa and Morocco and even Nigeria and Morocco, the semifinal, you know, that's when they said, you know, a, a, a continent um, a record of attendance, you know, um, but the, there has to be, uh, you know, you have to borrow inspiration from that sense, you know, like, for example, Ghana. They missed out on uh, two editions of uh, the Women's Africa Cup of Nations. And I think they had to sit back and say, look, 
We are Ghana. We've been, you know, dominating the continent at under 17 level, at under 20 level. Why is our national team suffering, you know? And of course, this comes into play um, after they hosted the 2018 um, Women's Africa Cup of Nations. The team didn't do well. So the, the federation really decided to um, punish uh, the women's team, you know, and not really support them. But now they're back on board. They have a new coach who's, you know, doing super well. Of course, the question remains, maybe they haven't faced like some big girls, you know, some big teams on the continent, but they're making good progress. And that also reflects, you know, with the national, um, the, the national league as well. But yes, to your point, uh, South Africa and uh, Moroccan teams will always be ahead of the game. But if you look at the game between Ampem Dakoa, you know, in that semi-final against Sporting Club Casablanca, it was a game of fine margins, mm -hmm. you know. It's 2-2 and you have a comfort Yeboa own goal, you know, that kind of brought uh, Sporting into uh, contention in the first place. Then they go to penalties. Anything can happen with the penalties, right? So, I think that, um, you know, we're going to continue to see um, a couple of countries, you know, continue to invest. For example, CBE, um, the Commercial Bank of Ethiopia, failing to make it out of, um, you know, Zone 5, um, you know, for the third time. I think they were a bit unfortunate, you know, losing to JKT Queens, right? But for me, at the end of the day, CAF needs to expand the competition, not to 12 teams, to 16 teams, you know, now is the time because we have 54 countries on the African continent. If we can have 16 teams competing at this level, it's a fair representation, you know, and also it will give uh, encouragement to these people that continue to invest in the women's teams that look in one region, we can at least have two teams, you know, and then the rest, maybe a third team, uh, depending also on the size of uh, of, uh, of the region, or maybe a couple of wild cards here and there, you know, just to encourage, um, you know, these girls that are playing. Because 8 of 54 is a very low percentage when it comes to representation. So I think that CAF needs to look into this matter and continue to have it as a, a one-off tournament, you know, but, you know, and then build it, get some sponsors, if hopefully... Uh, I hope that let's say they can consider like South Africa, you know, to host it next. Um, then you can bring in some really corporate sponsors. Um, it can be on uh, television, um, you know, and then the game can grow because we've seen the numbers go up, you know. In the very first game of the tournament, you had Sporting uh, Casablanca and Atletico d'Abidjan, uh, the host team. Uh, 5,800 people watching on YouTube. And now for the final, you had 174,000 views. You know, um, that's, you know, a couple of thousands of people that are following um, women's football and also in the stadiums. You know, there were so many people that, you know, were coming to watch uh, the games in Korogo and San Pedro. And thank God the tournament was actually held out of Abidjan so that it gives an opportunity to the women also to experience the countryside, you know, of Cote d'Ivoire. But really, at the end of the day, I think attitudes are very important. And lastly, I must say for Cote d'Ivoire, in the lead up to the tournament, there was a huge disappointment with uh, uh, the Federation pulling out uh, their national team from, uh, you know, the qualifiers, you know. It was very disappointing. Um, of course, they had predicted that they wouldn't do well because they had been uh, they had lost to Tanzania 
previously, you know, but this tournament, I hope, showed them that people care about women's football, that also their women's football is growing in Cote d'Ivoire and that they deserve um, a great chance, you know, to um, be supported and to be invested in. And then, you know, we can pick it up from there. But the conversation has to be there. Um, I think it's very close, you know, these countries, Ghana, uh, Tanzania, Botswana, uh, they're doing an incredible job. Uh, Kenya as well. You know, the other day, you know, they, they surprise everyone on the continent. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I love what you say about investment. And this is one thing we've talked about so much on the podcast is, you know, and why we get so frustrated when we don't see the same investment in women's football that we, we think we should. And it compares the game, men's game, because in, in terms of the football investment, and I think this is so true any, anywhere in the world, but I think probably particularly in Africa is you get so much return on investment in the women's game in a way that you never can get in the men's game because there's so much room to develop and so much room to grow. And you see that with the countries that invest and, you know, we see that with your Tanzanias who've come from nowhere, even, you know, to a lesser extent, you know, Kenya, I would put in there as well, but even like Botswana, you know, doing really well at the WAFCON and then seeing some of the players like the, like getting those bigger moves to bigger teams. And then on the flip side, yeah, you see Ghana and, and Ivory Coast and Cameroon not investing. And these are three of, you know, maybe 10 years ago, we'd say three of the biggest five teams on the continent. Suddenly they're, you know, losing to Kenya. They're, you know, pulling out of qualifiers and losing to Tanzania. And and I think there's such a, yeah, 100% that there's a frustration that there isn't the investment there because we could see so much growth coming in a way that you wouldn't see in the men's game when, when you put in millions more into it. And I think that's, I think that's really well put in terms of how, you know, you get what you, you, you put in essentially. Um, and I, yeah, I, I totally agree is in terms of expanding the tournament, because yeah, I think the best example is of, of the qualifiers being a really good product is East, East Africa. You know, every single year it's been remarkably competitive. You've had, yeah, CBE from Ethiopia getting to the final twice and semifinal once. And, you know, arguably the most consistent and side of the East Africans, they've never qualified. And yet Fihiga Queens did really well when they, they came. Obviously they got knocked out in the group, but they beat Asfar. We saw Simba get, get to the semifinals. And then, yeah, like you say, JK Queens, um, JKT Queens, you know, really unlucky in terms of losing players to to the qualifiers to the national team, and it, I, but I guess my question then is how because the, one of the other frustrations and and disappointments we've seen is is the discrepancy in in prize money that that the winners have gotten, particularly you know in in the wake of the AFL kind of coming in this kind of three or four week tournament on the men's side of things, invitation only, they're getting four million to win it. Um, and, and we're getting pennies in in, in um, comparison on the woman's side of things. And even even the hosting rights to this tournament, you know, that was kind of put forward that no one really came forward to host the, the tournament as actually kind of given to Ivory Coast simply as a kind of preparation, you know, run for, for the men's AFCON that will obviously be hosted in, in Cote d'Ivoire uh, later. You know, for, for you, how do you see, you know, that responsibility being split between CAF and you know the the member associations of CAF in terms of that development because you know we can sit here and be very critical of CAF and we often are on this podcast but they have done a lot on the women's side in terms of growing you know starting the Champions League for instance I mean I know you've been there from the start as one of those people who've been calling for you know Premier Club competition but what does that look like in terms of growing is it just simply expanding to 16 teams growing the tournament you know or how does that actually look in terms of enticing that sponsorship and that that growth that is needed from a kind of financial and infrastructure side of things 
this is a, a very good question. And um, I'll tell you what, CAF Women's Symposium, May 2018 in Marrakesh, Morocco, all the stakeholders in one building, and we were looking for answers. We were looking for, you know, suggestions and things that, you know, we want to see on the continent. And I remember even when we were having the conversations, like, okay, there's there's some hope here, you know, we can, we have to push, you know, at some point. And I say that because, you know, a couple of months down the road, CAF officially opened the women's football department. You know, can you imagine that, you know, for decades, there was no department of women's football. And then, you know, you have two employees there, um, you know, running around trying to create um, a strategy, you know, for for the game. And, you know, part of the strategy shared out there, um, especially last year, um, you know, also after having uh, launched the CAF Women's Champions League in 2021. And you can see the progress, right? But now we need to move to the next level of the strategy, which is selling the product that is women's football as a business. This must not be treated as a charity case. Women's football is not a charity case. It can be built as a business. Just over the weekend, I'm a huge Manchester United fan. We had the club literally, and you know, you know, people don't know, but Manchester United and Real Madrid were, you know, some of the last uh, big clubs, you know, especially in Europe to create women's teams, you know, and now it's not even been five years and they're filling out an entire stadium, you know, um, they, they had what? Uh, around 46,000, I think, um, at the stadium for the derby, you know, against City. And and for me, that's a huge step. You know, we saw that um, last season with three of the most attended games in Europe, all were women's games. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that a women's fixture, you know, was more than what was the attendance at the El Clasico between Real Madrid and Barcelona, you know. So it means that there has to be a faith, you know, uh, in that direction. So for me, it is to set up a marketing department within the CAF women's football department, you know, so that you can have these people who wake up every single day to lay out a strategy that is promoting and, and looking for investors in women's football. No one said anywhere, it is not written anywhere whatsoever, that the sponsors of the men's football must be the same sponsors for women's football. It's not written anywhere, you know? And of course, I understand strategy-wise that, you know, if you go to Total, you can say, hey, Total, look, uh, we have the AFCON and we have the WAFCON. These are the numbers, right? But you don't have to force them to, to be part of the conversation. If they don't want to be part of the conversation, no problem, you know? But keep, you know, keep the door open to look for sponsors that, you know, can, can, can work with the brand. I'll give you an example of Sasol. Sasol is an energy company in South Africa that has over the last 10 years been sponsoring women's football from the grassroots. When women's football was, for lack of a better term, was nothing, you know? And then they tried to say, look, we want to be part of this conversation to build with you from scratch. And they've been there. And look at South Africa now. South Africa, current champions of Africa, um, been to the World Cup two times. This time went out of the group stages, you know, and and, and went to the round of, uh, of 16. So for me, I think that 
um, it's it's really a great opportunity, you know, now, especially now after this CAF Women's Champions League, that we have to continue pushing and advocating, you know, for these things to happen. For example, just uh, recently, CAF uh, put out, um, you know, the nominees for the CAF Awards. You can't believe it, but it's the first time we have nominees for a women's goalkeeper. Can you imagine that? In mm. 2023, you know, while I, I would like to congratulate CAF for, um, you know, doing that, but why did it take this long, you know? So at the end of the day, uh, just to wrap up answering your question, I think that, you know, there has to be a marketing department within the CAF Women's uh, Football Department that works hand in hand, of course, with um, the general um, CAF uh, marketing team to make sure that they sell women's football. And when I say women's football, I mean um, the Women's Africa Cup of Nations. I mean the CAF Women's Champions League. I mean, um, you know, under 20, under 17. Until now on the continent, we don't have a tournament for under 17 girls, for under 20 girls, a continental tournament. We don't have that. You know, why? Why is that um, the case? You know, at some point, by the way, the winners of, if I remember well, the winners of the under, I think, 20 or under 23 were getting more money than the winner, winners of the Women's Africa Cup of Nations. Why? You know, and when you ask, they'll say, oh, you know, men's football is more, um, you know, more um, economic wise, like more business uh, oriented than women's football. Where are the numbers to defend that? You know, if right now you talk about, um, let's say, men's uh, football in South Africa and women's football in South Africa, who do you think is going to get more attention? The current African champions, you know, not, for example, Bafana Bafana before the AFCON coming up in Cote d'Ivoire, who couldn't make it to the mm -hmm. AFCON? You know, how can a team that are African champions earn less than the team that couldn't even go to the AFCON? You see, so for me, I, I don't even care about those things. And, and even if you talk about numbers, you know, if you look for 2,000 South African fans in a stadium watching Bafana Bafana game, sometimes it's difficult. You know, it's difficult to find such numbers. So which popularity is this that we are referring to? So at the end of the day also, it's like you, if you have two children, you can't say I'm giving the boy um, more pocket money or more investment in his education more than the girl because I think that the boy will do better than the girl. No, it doesn't work like that. And most of these federations also, they're dealing with public fans. You know, on what basis are you using public fans to, um, this, you know, uh, to, 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 to say that we're giving this more money to the men and little money to the women? On which basis when it's taxpayers' money, you know? But back to CAF, I think that largely the conversation has to be around um, policy as well, you know, if you say that, for example, for a team to play in the Africa Football League, you must have a youth team and you must have a women's team. But also you can add on this uh, requirement, you should have a women's senior team. And when you have a youth team, it's boys and girls. Hmm. So you can't say you have a young boys team and a women's team, senior. No. It has to be both ways. You know, we have to start the conversation at that level. The problem is people don't want to invest and yet they want to see results, you know. So it has to be a proper business case that CAF 
should look into and also force member associations to pay heed because if they don't, then you ban them from uh, the qualifiers of the AFCON and of the World Cup. And FIFA in this case now has to come in, which we have also seen for the uh, FIFA forward uh, funds that, you know, over the years. So at the end of the day, we have to be intentional. And as I was telling a couple of friends earlier, we have to be bold in the pursuit of gender equality in women's in, in football on the African continent, but also to give these young girls and women a chance, just a chance to play football. Yeah, and I think if you look abroad, you can see examples of this working. And I think, you know, a great example is the Women's World Cup in Australia. You know, the Matildas were the most, most sold shirts of any team in terms of commercial profit of any team, any sports team in Australia. That includes their cricket team that just won the World Cup, includes the Wallabies, the rugby team. You know, their their uh, their game against England at the World Cup was the most watched event in Australian history. You know, despite the men's team having been to a World Cup and having them won a Rugby World Cup and Cricket World Cup. And, and even I think here, I think also in terms of the club side of things here and where I'm based in England is one of the best examples of, you know, pushing and showing that product. You know, the first when I started covering football, it was covering the Women's Super League and Championship, watching it on, you know, single camera put on the FA's website and it was really terrible quality, but they kept showing it, kept showing it. And eventually got a couple of, you know, broadcast deals with, with BT sport initially. And then sky kind of took the gamble just three or four years ago, invested in it. And suddenly within a few years, you know, the WSL has gone from a kind of, you know, I don't want to say a village league, you know, farmers league, but to suddenly, I, you know, I think it's arguably the best league in the world. And that's just been within a, a few years of, of investment. I mean, they're getting that return, you know? Yeah. I was at, the Emirates when Arsenal had their biggest ever attendance when when they played Bayern Munich um, in in the in the UEFA Champions League, and I think that that's you're spot on. You know there just needs to be that investment and and that desire to see it grow. I, I know we've taken a lot of your time, Usher, and I just want to ask one final question to you, and I put this to Jerry Shabalala as well. Is you know Gianni Infantino kind of alluded to it when at the Qatar World Cup uh, in in 2022. But do you think that the African nations specifically are ready for a Club World Cup on the women's side of things? Because we've seen the men's side, what, how much the Club World Cup means to some of the, the, the sides like Al-Akhli and Widad that have been participating in the last few years. Um, on the women's side of things, would you, how much would you like to see Amamodi Sundowns going up against Barcelona Femini and uh, you know teams like that? And do you think that they're ready for that? Hundred percent. I think uh, we have to start somewhere, um, but I think, of course, there's a couple of things, as you will see in uh, the documentary on Netflix around uh, the Mamelodi Sundowns ladies team. You know, um, there's a couple of things that you know they'll need to work on to become uh, world class, but they have to begin somewhere. And and when I say begin somewhere, you'll have to go back to the 1974 World Cup. Um, when Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, became the first team uh, from sub-Saharan Africa to play at that level, you know, um, and the results of the fixtures. But look at us now with um, the likes of Morocco going to the semifinals of uh, the World Cup in Qatar. So we have to begin somewhere, even if it takes us the next 40 years. Now is the time for an African team to go and play at the world level. I cannot begin to imagine that in 2023, we don't have 
you know, a tournament that is for um, club champions from all continents in the world, because why not, you know? And if there's a team, by the way, that can compete at this level from Africa, it will definitely have to be Bamelodi Sundowns because they will get as much support as possible from within the club structure, from within South Africa, but also from uh, the rest of uh, the continent, you know, I mean, uh, this is a club that is really not struggling for financial um, resources. They'll have to make a couple of signings, you know, to prepare themselves. And also it's important to note that South Africa has really been, you know, throwing um, some really good efforts in playing big friendly games, you know, against the USA. We saw uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, in the international break, um, playing against, you know, the big teams on, uh, on, 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 the, on the world uh, level, you know. So the more it helps the women's national team, Banyana Banyana, um, because you have some of those players playing for Mamelodi Sundowns, but also they will have to break the bank as they have done for the men's side to look for talent from across um, the world, you know, go to Brazil, find some talent, you know, um, go to maybe Asia, get some talent from there and then build up ahead of the World Cup. That is going to be very key uh, for them to go to the next level because we've seen them, um, you know, prepare and shine on the continent, winning two titles out of three. Come on. I think that's enough uh, for them to show that they have the ability to get to the next level. So I think now they have to really sign some talent from at least two or three continents just to boost that squad, get used to each other before they start their next season campaign. Absolutely, and what, what I would love give to see to see Mamelodi Sundowns compete in in a Club World Cup, and I think it has to happen. Uh, and it, yeah, like you said, any team that could do it, it's it's them. I just think it would be brilliant to see them going up against some of these these bigger sides from Europe, from North America. And again, as I was saying earlier, in terms of the investment that need is needed to compete the women's side is so much more accessible than the men's side it makes so much more sense to invest in that because the sundowns women's team is far closer to beating barcelona femini than the men's side is to beating man city the the european champions the men's side and that is and that's where i kind of see that's where the investment needs to come because you'll get better return on it you'll get you'll see a better result than than you would in investing in the men's game but we'll have to see usha thank you so much for for joining us you're giving us a lot of a lot of questions to to ponder and you know a lot of hope for the future but you know i certainly hope that you know, and I, I have no doubt that you are putting these these very same ideas to CAF and putting pressure on them to get their act together. Because, as you say, you know, we should we should praise them for the good things they've done, but we also shouldn't praise them for doing the bare minimum. So, thank you so much for for joining us and and kind of joining us uh, around the virtual bride. Well